Welcome to the Improver Network Podcast. The Improver Network mission is to make the world better by helping faith-driven leaders, entrepreneurs, and small business owners improve personally and professionally. Finding balance and maintaining focus in a world of distractions and discouragement can be challenging and frustrating, but we're here to help you discover your purpose, become more productive, and reach your true potential. Now here's your host, Justin Winstead. Hello and welcome to the Improver Network Podcast. I'm Justin Winstead. I'm here with my team member, Melissa McCaslin, and we have an awesome guest on the show today. So excited for this conversation. I know there's somebody out there that is going to love what we're going to talk about because we have Dr. Zoe Shaw in the house today. Actually, not physically, but virtually uh, in the house for the podcast. So (laughs) welcome, Dr. Zoe. How are you? Thank you. I am great today. So glad to be here. Yeah. And, you know, we say we're virtual, but where, where is home for you? Where are you today? So I am in sunny California, Southern California, about an hour north of Los Angeles. All right. What, what's it like out there yeah. right now, this time of year? Is it, is it sunny right now? Are you having a pretty day? Or it what's is. <laughs> it's sunny. It's beautiful. It's clear. It's a typical California day. All yeah. right. Well, it's gray and dreary mm-hmm. and drizzly mm-hmm. here in uh, North Texas. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's just dive right in. Uh, I've gotten to know you recently and just think you're an incredible person. And as soon as I met you and started getting to know you, I'm like, we got to have you on the podcast. I want more people to hear uh, some of your story and some of what you're uh, doing in life and in business and so, uh, yeah, so let's just kind of start out with, um, let's t- tell me uh, the audience as much or as little as you want them to know about your story. I know you shared a long keynote uh, at a conference right. I was at recently, and so we probably don't have time for the whole, the whole thing, but like kind of tell us some of the cliff notes on where you've been and, uh, and where you are and where you're going. Yeah, so I was, I was I'm from Maryland. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I got pregnant and I had a child and I grew up in a fundamental Christian home. And my dad was a kind of um, very well-respected doctor in the community. And they did what parents often do and kind of hid me away, sent me to a pregnancy home. And I was um, encouraged to give my child up for adoption, which I did. And for me, that really started a shame story. Um, And I went on to be very successful in high school, academically and athletically, got a scholarship to UCLA, competed um, at a high level uh, in track and field and got married and went on to have my own children. And um, in that process, I recognized that there was some dysfunction in terms of the way that I, I I viewed and saw mothering. And I was really interested in psychology. And so I went into psych, I got my doctorate, my master's, my doctorate in clinical psych and started out a long practice. Um, and then, you know, I had my children, I had my uh, first kept daughter who had a severe genetic disorder which I, in my mind at that time, believed that it was some type of punishment from God because of me placing my my first child for adoption. And so, you know, in, in the midst of 
practicing as a psychologist and working through my own shame issues, I I learned a lot both professionally and personally. And so over the course of the years, I have really begun to study shame. I've begun to study codependency and relationships because I've also had my issues with with, uh, dysfunctional relationships. And, you know, for me, I've been able to turn my, my, you know, my greatest deficits, I've been able to turn my shame into really, I think, a superpower because I'm able to help other people, other women mostly, and couples who go through, uh, you know, difficult times in the relationship, specifically because of shame and codependency. So that's kind of the work that I do. I love to write and I love to speak. Um, and I also love to do crazy things like jump out of planes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, my wife keeps wanting to do that, and I'm like, we got to at least wait till the kids uh, are, just in case, you know I mean? Like, we can't do it together. But, <laughs> man, what an amazing uh, story, uh-huh. right? And, you know, it's um, sometimes, you know, people go to school, and they get their degrees, and they go into some field of practice, and it just seems like a lot of what they discuss or try to do is all hypothetical. It's all abstract. But then you mm-hmm. take a situation mm-hmm. like yours, and it's like, you know, you lived it, and then you went and studied it, and you mm-hmm. got a very unique right. take on the, the topics that you help people with. And I think that's, that's incredible there. And it, Thank you. it's really sad Thank when you. people waste their pain, but I love it when people use their pain as their platform. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think for me, that has been my biggest drive is that I don't want all of this to be wasted. Let mm-hmm. me be able to help someone else, which is really why I kind of jumped off the couch. And I, I don't even, you know, want to focus so much on one-to-one therapy because there's so many people that can be helped rather than mm-hmm. just speaking to one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going through some things a few years back and uh, there was this uh, picture on a wall that somebody sent me and it had all these cliche phrases and they were still so good though in the moment, but it was like your pain is your platform, your mess is your mm-hmm. message, your test is your testimony, mm-hmm. your struggle is your story. And yeah. I just thought about how cool that was. And I'm like, but you know, they're a little cliche, but it is important that we do let our test become our testimony. Otherwise it is just wasted uh, on it. So kudos to you for um, pushing through that and overcoming and then using your story, being vulnerable. I mean, the thing you've already shared in just a few minutes, like a lot of people would prefer to safe face keep that to themselves like think that well especially in christian circles it can be really easy to like be judged from that and so Mm -hmm. yeah thank you uh thank you for sharing that well so what are you thinking about over there what question do you have for uh dr zoe i know you probably got something huh how many kids do you have now i have five oh my gracious and my my oldest son is getting ready to graduate from college on Friday. So oh we're, my we're gosh, starting is he in California as well? He is. Yeah, he goes to Kalu. My next youngest son is in Rhode Island. He goes to RISD. Oh my gracious, that's so exciting! And your youngest? How old is your youngest? She's ten. Okay, going on thirty. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Okay, that, I love it too. I. I don't have a story like yours, but I have a similar story of my husband and I, we got pregnant when I was in college and Mm. we were seniors. And so, I mean, met with so much love, but also so much shame and all the things to go with it. So just, yeah, um, always talk about your mess to your message, your pain to your platform. But I, I don't know, for some reason I see also this, this, I don't know, image in my mind that says, but his banner over us is love. 
And so mm-hmm. that's just what I always think. So thanks yeah, for sharing. Yeah. For real. You're welcome. You're welcome. I always say that, you know, your story is just like mine, just a little different. Everybody exactly. has a shame story. It's so yeah. true. Yep. Well, we're all broken people on a broken road and just trying to see mm-hmm. how God can put things together in a way that works out for good. Right. And so, uh, you know, without him, where would we be? Well, so that's some of your personal stuff. But then professionally, you mentioned, you know, you went to school, got your doctorate degree. I mean, that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was almost that advanced. Uh, when I went to school, <laughs> I got my four year degree in only six years. And so that was kind of my claim to fame. So I'm always <laughs> oh amazed at you gosh. people who get these advanced degrees. So that's awesome. And then so you're using that actually um, as a therapist, right, as a counselor. And like, but then you're doing Absolutely. more than that. Talk to me about what you're doing in the work world. Yeah. So so I have a private practice, but I also speak and I write and I have a podcast and (laughs) I love to speak to, you know, people don't recognize how their shame shows up outside of relationships. So a lot of times people think, oh, my shame is just mine. I just keep it hidden. And yeah, it might make me feel bad sometimes. Maybe it'll make me, you know, react in a way that that's not so healthy, but they don't recognize the ripple effect. And so I love to speak to companies. I like to speak to people in business. Um, And in addition to couples and, and individuals about how their shame tends to really color um, all of their interactions, all the things that they potential, you know, potentially want to do in the world and are actually doing right now. Mm. That's so good. We're going to have to fly you in from uh, California to come down here to Texas and uh, help some of us out. <laughs> yeah, are those like big aha moments in those settings of people when they realize, oh my gosh, like my shame is affecting and rippling out to so many things. Yes, I think so because people don't don't tend to notice it. And then the next question is, "Wow, I didn't realize yes. that my shame was sabotaging me. I didn't sure. realize that this is what's keeping me from being able to get to that next level or mm-hmm. I didn't realize the lens through which mm-hmm. I see the world, mm-hmm. right? And For so sure. then of course the next question is, "Well, now what? What do I do about it?" Right. And so yes. we talk about yeah, about ways to pay attention, be intentional mm-hmm. and and learn to really un- untangle your shame um, from your guilt, because guilt is something very different as well. And then how to work on forgiveness, self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. All right. So help me out. Since we're talking about these different words and shame, that's the topic that right. we're on. What is mm-hmm. shame anyway? Because when I think of shame, just the immediate thought is like embarrassment and I feel bad about stuff. But then you say guilt and I'm like, OK, I think those are very close. I could, as a lay person, I would almost say shame and guilt are very close, but you're drawing a distinction. So why don't you talk to me about shame and then tell me like, well, how is shame different than guilt? Right. Great question. I think a lot of people put them together and I'm, I'm not convinced that shame is healthy at all in terms of, of a feeling or a state of being. I'm still working on that concept. Guilt, though, can actually be productive. So guilt, essentially, if we think of all of our emotions, so I always say all of our emotions are good. All of our emotions are information. I don't know that shame is an emotion, though. We'll talk about that later. But when we think about all of our emotions being information, right? So anger tells us something's wrong. Happiness tells us something's good. Sadness says I lost something, right? Fear says I'm in danger. So you just want to pay attention to what your feelings are telling you. So if we look at guilt, guilt says I did something that broke my moral code. Essentially, that's it. I did something wrong, right? Um, But if you think about that word, I did something wrong, that's something that you could change, do something differently in the future, right? And so guilt helps us kind of 
um, adjust our behavior so that we try to make sure we're walking in line with our whatever our moral code is. So guilt can be a good emotion. Shame is where guilt kind of gets um, pressurized, I think, and it begins to uh, decompensate into something very unhealthy. Shame is guilt turned into something worse. And shame says, I am wrong. Mm. So if you're guilty about something, you can always change your behavior. Mm. But when shame tells you that you as a person are wrong, then all of a sudden it's harder to change who you are, right? And so it leaves you in this stuck place, not of I can change myself, but now I have to hide myself because I don't want people to see that I'm wrong. And so that's the difference between shame and guilt. Well, that's worth the podcast right there. I mean, to really chew on. There's some of you out there that have let your guilt turn to shame, and uh, that's why you're so discouraged and you're so you're beating yourself down, and you shouldn't be. Um, yeah, and you know, we talk a lot here about improvement at the Improver Group, and you know, it's really hard to improve when you're beating yourself up all the time and when you're focused on how deficient you are. Because it almost seems like, a, you know, a pointless or it's too difficult when you're broken. How can I improve? But if you take your thing and say, no, that's shame. What, you're, what you should be feeling is maybe a little guilt, but you can improve on your guilt. You can improve on your behavior. So I think that's such an encouraging message to our improvers uh, out there and to not let uh, the thing you do define who you are, uh, which there's a message there as well. <laughs> now. In addition to your speaking and your counseling and, and all this that you're doing, you're writing a book right now too, right? And so dive a little bit deeper on this idea because we're defining shame, but a, a phrase that I don't know that I'd ever heard until I met you was the phrase complex shame. Did I get that right? Is that the phrase? Yeah, you complex did, shame. Did. So <laughs> now I, let's go real deep in it. Uh, now I got to understand what shame is. What's complex shame? Right. So my book is part memoir, part self-help, and it's focusing on really explaining this whole concept. So I've come up with this complex shame theory. So when we look at shame, if we, if most people know Brene Brown and Brene Brown talks about, she's kind of the guru of shame and, and vulnerability. And what she talks about is, is that in her research, she's found that the antidote to shame is vulnerability. And a lot of people have applied that over the course of the years that Brene kind of broke out with this antidote to shame. And for the most part, it works. So you learn to be vulnerable and your shame dissipates because all of a sudden you realize people accept me. Um, I'm not this anomaly, right? There's nothing wrong with me. I don't mm -hmm. have to hide my shame. But unfortunately, what people have begun to discover, and I'm not the only one, is that it doesn't work in all cases. So there's some cases of shame where you're vulnerable and it doesn't fix it, right? It can make you spiral lower or even worse if we look at, you know, specific populations, maybe the underserved minority populations, um, vulnerability can actually be dangerous. Hmm. And so people are starting to kind of look at this concept of vulnerability, not necessarily being the antidote to all shame. And so I started looking at it because for some it's perfect. You learn, oh, I have shame. I understand what shame is. I'm vulnerable. Boom, it's fixed, right? And so I started looking at, well, what's the difference? And that's when I decided that I would kind of term it complex shame. So we do have an, a, a, a psychological concept called toxic shame. Now, toxic shame is what develops uh, personality disorders, like your narcissistic personality disorder, for instance, right? Now, toxic shame is 
a shame that's essentially so severe that there's almost no cure for it. It happens very, very early in life. It forms the foundation of your personality. There is not really a cure for these types of personality disorders. And that's where you're, you feel so utterly horrible to, to use, to not have a better word at the moment for. Um, and so I'm not really going to touch toxic shame. There hasn't really been a cure for that. If we're going to look at that. Um, and then there's what I call simple shame. And that's what Brene Brown talks about is your simple shame, um, that vulnerability can work with, but then there's this area in between simple shame and, and toxic shame, which hasn't been identified. And that's what I'm calling a complex shame theory. And so what happens is that simple shame, just like we talked about how guilt can come kind of uh, cycle down into shame, right? Well, simple shame can then become complex shame. And what happens with that is we're told maybe something's wrong with us. I am wrong. Like the guilt turns into I am wrong. Or often it's put upon us by someone else, a parent, a teacher, society and whole messages that were sent. And as a result of those messages, we then begin to harm ourselves, right? So you're told you're stupid or you're told, you know, you're not good enough for some reason or, you know, you're not a good mother, for instance, because you gave your child up for adoption or you sinned because you had premarital sex. And so what happens as a result of that shame, the belief that kind of I'm bad, maybe in that area, mm -hmm. we then hurt ourselves. Maybe we become promiscuous. Maybe we start using drugs. Maybe we... um we do things that damage ourselves, or for instance, someone who's experienced trauma. I don't think shame, simple shame applies to trauma mm -hmm. because when you've been traumatized, there's often something that our brain tells us we could have done in the moment. So someone was raped. Our brain says, you know, I could have left mm -hmm. beforehand. Or I could have not accepted that invitation. And so our shame gets entangled. It's not just someone else's responsibility or something somebody did to us. It's something we also did to ourselves. And so when we're vulnerable with it, it doesn't help. When we say it's not your fault, our brain doesn't believe it because our brain can come up with reasons why it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call complex shame. And that's what needs to just to be untangled in order for us to get to a place of self-forgiveness. What's mine? What's somebody else's? And then learn how vulnerability can also help with the process. Yeah, that's, that's all really fa fascinating to me. And I'm trying to think about this in the real world on like examples of where I'm seeing what you're talking about. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong and misunderstanding. So I'm thinking about, we mentioned Christian circles earlier. So, hey, I've got this thing that like I've done and I know that it's not really according to the biblical moral code about how to live the Christian life. And so if I confess that to somebody else, maybe a little confession, a little accountability, that's all I need in order mm -hmm. to um, overcome that issue, to turn that around. I just need a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of accountability, a little bit of vulnerability, confessing it, and now mm -hmm. I'm over that. But there could be a thing where like, instead of me having a drink, maybe I've turned into like habitual drinking and that's turned into like this deep level of shame that like just confessing, just having encouragement, accountability, that doesn't, that doesn't actually help. Is that kind of what you're saying is that there's this deeper level, almost like the difference in a bad habit versus an addiction. There's like a bad shame versus like a complex shame. It's just a deeper level that requires more 
than surface level accountability. Does that make sense? Is that it absolutely makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, for with that example, that person might have started drinking and then maybe they started gambling as a result and maybe they lost their house. Yeah. Um, maybe they, you know, you know, injured their partner, you know, emotionally. And there's so many things that get caught up with that shame. That's not just about the one thing. That's when yeah. it becomes complex. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think about the world that we live in, in our company with one of our brands is called the Improver Coach. And mm-hmm. we try to coach people through things. And I've been asked a little bit in the past, like a few times, well, when should I see you versus when should I see a counselor or a therapist? And like, what is the difference in that? And, you know, one of the things that I've always kind of told them to think about is if like, if you're playing the game as an athlete, if you've got an injury or something traumatic that's happening to you physically, like the coach yelling at you about or trying to challenge you to to run a play differently or to perform better, that's not really applicable because you've got this injury that needs therapy and it's healing. Mm-hmm. That's different than you just trying to reach your potential or to have direction, vision and goals. And so I kind of see that a little bit on this simple shame, complex shame conversation where, you know, simple shame, maybe you could set the goal and have some coaching could maybe help you work through some of that, especially if you're willing to be honest and accountable Mm -hmm. to your coach. But if it's complex, you need something deeper, kind of like the athlete who's got the injury Mm -hmm. needs somebody to help walk them through therapy. Does that sound kind of on point there? It absolutely does. And that's actually what I'm hoping my book can provide to somebody is for them to be able to recognize and identify Oh, this is why this vulnerability thing isn't working for me. This is what's going on with me. And and this is what I can do to start to untangle it. Now, are you planning on writing the things that they need to do to overcome the shame? Or is it more like bringing awareness and helping them see how to diagnose if they do have complex? And then are you recommending they're going to need to go see like therapists for this? Or like what's going to be the remedy? Or have you gotten that far yet? Or what does it look like to overcome complex shame? Yeah, so I am going to be talking about the steps to overcome. So I have um I have a seven like a seven step process for how it develops and then how you work towards overcoming it. And you know, the last three steps are really the overcoming part and that's learning to figure out what is your story and then learning what is my what is my responsibility whether it it truly was something you could have controlled or not. What do you imagine, right? Your responsibility is for, and what is someone else's? So literally having times where you're sitting down and writing with yourself or a therapist, separating out what's mine, what's somebody else? What did I do as a result? Or even beforehand, what did somebody else do? Um, And then working on vulnerability, being able to talk about it openly and making sure you're being very intentional about the people that you're speaking to. Uh, And then working on self-forgiveness, which is the hardest part, is learning how to forgive yourself sometimes for the things that weren't necessarily your fault, but that you ended up doing as a result of, of the, you know, of the shame. And, and then there's a maintenance phase as well, because we can do the thing, we can untangle it, we can look at it in that moment, we can, you know, talk about it, we can forgive ourselves, but it's kind of a cycle, because mm-hmm. there's parts of it, you know, we might have worked on that top layer, but the layers come up as we continue to heal, and you need to work on continuing to do that and maintaining a recognition of your shame, because we all have, like, We all have something, and usually that something is something we have to work on for a lifetime. It's Mm -hmm. not just a a one and done. Mm -hmm. And so you need to work on being able to work on maintenance in the long term. So my book is actually going to lay that out. Now, for most people, I'm in therapy. 
I suggest people who are experiencing toxic shame enter therapy with someone who really understands this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping my book can be useful for the layperson and the therapist who can start to recognize this in their clients as well. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a short break. And then when we get back on the other side of this break, uh, we're going to talk about the topic of imposter syndrome and how that relates to uh, shame. And then also, I know there's some people who keep mentioning your book, but your book's not ready yet. It's not published yet. So we're going to talk about how people can engage and begin to learn. And maybe if they're really uh, interested in this topic, how they can find out more until the book is published. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that on the other side of the break. So listeners, hang on for us. This episode is brought to you by The Improver Network. Members of The Improver Network get exclusive access to bonus episodes of our podcast. Additional member benefits include educational content, encouraging community, and practical coaching to accelerate personal and professional growth. For more information about becoming a member, visit improver.network today. and welcome back as we continue our conversation on this idea of complex shame with Dr. Zoe Shaw. So, hey, we're going to talk about a lot here on this uh, next half of the podcast. But one of the things I wanted to kind of rewind a little bit, uh, you and I met at a conference recently and you were a keynote speaker there. And like, I haven't told you I was going to ask you this, but I just want to like, was this your first time on stage or is this something you've done a lot? And like, how did it feel? What do you like about public speaking? Like when you get on stage, is that a comfort zone or are you uncomfortable with that? Or like, talk to me about public speaking and you keynoting. Yeah, it wasn't my first time. I started maybe a year or so before COVID and I was just starting to ramp up my speaking career and boom, Mm -hmm. COVID just wiped all of that out. I did some virtual stuff over COVID, but it's just, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And so I've just now really started to get back into being on stage and I absolutely love the stage. And I have been terrified historically to speak in public and I would force myself anytime there was a speaking opportunity, I would force myself to do it, shaking, stomach, cramping, all the things, because I knew that it was a skill that I wanted to develop. Um, And so the more I do it, the more I just absolutely love it. All right. Well, so much fun there. Well, I was curious about that. You did a fantastic job. And, you know, of course, that was like my first uh, exposure to hearing who you were. But you mentioned the digital side of things which that leads into this next uh, question I want to ask you is people are like, man, I want to know more about this. I want to understand more about like the, your kind of perspective and philosophy mm-hmm. on uh, your understanding of how people work through these issues. So uh, how can people find more out about this? Or I know you've got some things on Insta and also how sh- should people find you and connect with you? Yeah, so I'm really just starting to talk about this concept, but I'm going to be ramping up more and more over the next year before uh, my book comes out. People can find me on, on my website, Dr. Zoe Shaw, D-R-Z-O-E-S-H-A-W.com. Um, and from there, you can read my blog, you can listen to my podcast, where I really focus on women who are in difficult relationships. And I'm going to be focusing more on shame and codependency and how they show up and how they affect all of our relationships. My favorite hangout is Instagram. It's the same handle, Dr. Zoe Shaw. Okay. And since you're just now starting to put content out there on this topic, I know you've got lots of followers and other content. What are some of the other topics that you delve into? 
boundaries is a huge one. Um, understanding what's healthy, what isn't healthy in relationships um, and codependency. Those are kind of my my biggest topics. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, jump over to this topic on imposter syndrome. Yes. So some people may or may not know that phrase. It seems like I'm hearing more about it over the past year or two uh, in some of the circles that I've been in than, than previous. But uh, would you kind of unpack that for us a little bit and then make a connection between that and this topic of shame? Yeah. You know, I think I first heard the concept back in grad school, which was t- over 20 years ago. Um, but it's it hasn't been talked about a lot. And I think maybe my professor talked about the fact that all of us coming out of grad school feel like we don't know enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, imposter syndrome is really this concept that people who have gotten to a certain point, usually in your career or whatever sphere, you know, you're working in, um, where they feel that they aren't quite entitled to the position that they have or the accolades that they receive. And what we found in research, we being not me, but other psychologists, um, what what has been found is that most people feel some level of imposter syndrome. And most people assume that nobody else is feeling it but mm-hmm. themselves. And the reality is, is that even, you know, in, in psychology, we learn as much as we can learn. And whether you're, you know, a, a brain surgeon or whatever, you know, whatever career you're doing, we learn as much as we can learn, but there's always more to be learned. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And imposter syndrome can can slip in. Now, imposter syndrome is very closely linked to shame. It's very closely linked to our our sense of, of self, right? Our self-esteem. Um, because when we already have shame, remember I told you sh- shame tells you you have to hide, right? And so when you believe that you have to hide parts of yourself, then what your fear is that, is that other people will find out. So the other big component to imposter syndrome is I'm scared they're going to find out who I really am. I'm scared they're going to find out that I don't really know as much as I know, that I, I'm not this, this amazing person that they think I am. And so that's how shame is really closely linked to imposter syndrome. Yeah, man, I can relate to a little bit of um who can even, right? even now, you know, mm-hmm. even now it's like, I was kind of thinking about it in the past where I've gone through that, but even now there's certain parts. It's like, Oh, what if people really, you know, it's so funny. I made the joke earlier about like the advanced degree of uh, getting my four year degree in only six years, like that's freeing. Yeah. And it's so fun to just like do it. And at the end of the day, nobody really cares. Like it's in yeah. fact, they almost like the fact that I'm not worried about it, but then there's these other areas where it's like, well, I can't let them know mm-hmm. this or I'm not, you know, there. And so it is, it's a hard deal when we try to put up this facade of like, this is who, and it's hard to live that way, or at least it is for me. I, I'm not very good at multitasking. And so I have to tell the truth as often as possible because when I lie, I get, I get you know, I'm not smart enough to remember it. And same right. thing, like I just have to be real because when I start trying to be fake, it's mm-hmm. it's too much to keep up with. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there are still parts of that. What do, you, uh, what do you think about that, Melissa, this idea of imposter syndrome and trying to, you know, shame and how this, you get any thoughts or questions that come to mind? Um, in your book, like, do you talk about ways to combat that? I mean, is it just, I guess you first have to just deal with like, again, like being accountable to yourself and vulnerable about dealing with your shame and then that'll transpire to not feeling like an imposter. I mean, how does that work? How do they all connect? Yeah. You know, I don't talk about imposter syndrome in my book specifically. I just talk about it generally, but imposter syndrome would be 
to some extent, an example of simple shame. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just like, like just, uh, in my, um, keynote, you know, Rachel got up there and did this wonderful introduction and said all my accolades and, oh, she's been on Oprah.com and, oh, she's in Forbes and all this stuff. Sure. And that, you know, my imposter syndrome historically would be like, oh, it sounds like I'm really great, but I'm really not. Mm -hmm. And part of it is really just radically owning and accepting who you are Mm -hmm. and recognizing Mm -hmm. that it's good enough. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I did in my keynote is I said, this is a wonderful introduction. It's all true that that, Mm -hmm. those are all my accomplishments, Mm -hmm. but this is also true about me. Mm. And it may seem that that disqualifies me, but it actually doesn't. It actually qualifies me even more, right? And so really with imposter syndrome, being vulnerable is a step. Mm -hmm. And then radical acceptance, accepting Mm -hmm. that your deficits and the things that you don't know actually don't disqualify you. It's really shifting your mindset. That's good. I'm writing that one down. You know, (laughs) Melissa and I were at a meeting recently and uh, there was a speaker who uh, took us through an exercise where we had to give a compliment to mm-hmm. one another at this event. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules that she gave is like, she gave a few rules and one of them was you have to look them in their eyes to give them the compliment. And then when you're on the receiving end of the compliment, you can't send it back. You have to yes. just receive it. Mm-hmm. And I think How hard is that? So hard. So hard. Yeah. To not say, oh no, that's not or, you know, did not, or to say, well, let me give you one back just because like, right. I can't just accept the fact that you said that. And that, you know, that's an interesting exercise. And I think this is part of what you're saying that plays into that is like, why not? Somebody's giving you a compliment. Why is it so hard to just mm-hmm. receive to just it? Receive it. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this, because, you know, so much of this you've talked about with shame is people taking the step to be vulnerable starts with, but then if you've got complex, you got to go deeper than just opening up. There is this uh, aboding sense of fear that I think people are facing, but like, what is the real fear that we have with like just being open and honest? And what is this part of fear that's playing into this shame conversation? What are we afraid of? Ostracism. It is, it is deeply embedded in us as humans to not be ostracized. If we think about historically, if, and this happened, if you are ostracized from your community, from your tribe, you die hmm. because you need people in order to survive, right? You need the protection of your community. You need the protection of, of everybody working together for food, water, all of those, those resources. And so it is very much hardwired into humans to avoid ostracism Mm -hmm. and it's you know unfortunately our brain our brain you know it believes what we tell it and so if we tell our brain we're in danger if this person finds this out about me if they Mm -hmm. realize that maybe i don't know this thing they may ostracize me our brain goes danger danger i could die and so it's going to shut down and hide and so the fear is a valid fear physiologically but it's not a valid fear socially and emotionally. And so we have to recognize that, that the thing that we think is going to happen ultimately, and there, there's a, there's a, like I said, a physiological fear. And then there's a thing we tell ourselves. So the physiological fear says I'm going to die. The actual thing we tell ourselves is they won't like me. Mm-hmm. They're not going to accept me. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. They're going to put me out of the group or they're mm-hmm. going to find somebody better or they'll know, right? But it's really also very much connected to a physiological fear. Hmm. 
I know growing up, I had some family that used to use this phrase like, oh, I was deathly afraid that they were going to find out X, Y, and Z. And hmm. you just kind of talk about that deathly yes. afraid. Like now that makes more sense that they yes. used to say, like they, it actually felt like potential death to them. It like, does. you know, if that were to happen. Man, that's something else. All right. So one other little thing I'd like us to discuss where we start wrapping up here is we have a lot of like professionals and business owners and leaders that are listening to this. And so much of our topic has felt about the individual. But when we think about teams, we think about leading our business, like what what are the takeaways and kind of the thoughts that we need to be aware of on how shame may be playing a part in work and in our teams? Uh, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, I think that what's really important is for us as leaders to be able to model what mm -hmm. we really want to have our organizations look right, like, right? So if we're able to be vulnerable with our organizations, then they are going to be able to be vulnerable with us. They're going to be able to know that, oh, it's okay. So I think part of it is top down is you actually walking these things out. I think the other thing is, is learning the people who are working for you, understanding what are your deficits? What are your strengths? And helping them to be able to identify them as well and own them and accept them and not be ashamed or feel bad about their deficits. And if you're modeling that, then you're actually going to get the very best out of your employees because you are letting them know, I'm honoring that you are a varied person. You are unique and you have these skill sets and these strengths that are really going to help us. And everybody has deficits. So let's figure out what yours are. And let's talk about them and let's be vulnerable and honest about them so we can all use each other's strengths to the best. Well, man, I'm taking that. Like, <laughs> no. just, man, we've already had a conversation today about this learning our team members mm -hmm. and like understanding yeah. the mm -hmm. unique things. Everybody, so you're just really uh, adding on to that for us here. Man, so much goodness here. This may be a strange question for you, so I'll give you a moment in case you need a moment to <laughs> think about it. But uh -huh. what what is the one thing about this topic that you wish I would have asked about or that we wish we would have talked about, but I didn't bring up or I didn't ask the right question? What's something you'd love for people to know about this topic? Or just in general anyway, what's a message you'd love people to know or to think about in this? What would yeah. be some lasting words for them? You know, I think the thing that's coming up for me, and I was just talking to somebody about this earlier today, is that the seeds of our greatness are absolutely almost 100% rooted in our childhood. And often they get covered up by shame, by guilt, and we go about kind of living our lives just almost kind of treading water. But if you take some moments, if you take some time, if you're regularly intentional about going back to when you were little, before you remember those first seeds of shame and guilt kind of starting to, to cover you, the things that you love, the things that you pursued, the things that you were most interested in and passionate about, that actually is a direct route towards your passion. And sometimes we allow shame to even cover up our own purpose in, 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 our, in the world. And so that's the thing that's just percolating for me right now is I encourage anybody who's listening to, to this to just go back there. Go back mm -hmm. to your childhood and, and think about those moments, those times, those those years before shame started covering up. What really is your true purpose in this world? Mm. Well, I appreciate that. You just gave me um, a great little closing thought here. And this is what I'll leave our improvers with is that mm -hmm. we believe that God has created each person with a special purpose. Yes. Part yes. of that purpose is to be able to enjoy him and his peace and his joy that he wants all of his children to have. 
Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of the Garden of Eden whenever Adam and Eve sinned. They felt ashamed and they went and hid themselves. And their main purpose was just to walk with God and mm-hmm. to have a relationship with Him. And their shame actually kept them from doing the very thing they were created to do. And that's the purpose of this podcast today is we want to help you overcome the shame and help you overcome it so you can be who you were meant to be and created to be. So hopefully this has been worth your time if you've been listening today. But thank you for joining us uh, here on the Improver Network podcast. And as we always say, stay good and keep getting better. We'll connect with you on the next podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this production of the Improver Network podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch future episodes. For more information about the Improver Network, visit us online at improver.network. That's www.improver.network. And connect with us on social. Until next time, keep getting better.